I'm Daniel Levine, and this is Rarecast. When Terry Pirovalkis' son, Michael, was diagnosed with the ultra-rare neurodegenerative disease spastic paraplegia type 50, he set out to raise money and engage researchers in developing a treatment. Now, after successfully dosing Michael with an experimental gene therapy as the first patient in a clinical trial, he's launched Elpida Therapeutics to develop multiple gene therapy programs for children with ultra-rare diseases. We spoke to Pyrovolicus about the need Alpida is seeking to address, its unusual business model, and why he hopes to hand off its therapies at no cost to a partner once they win approval. Terry, thanks for joining us. Thank you very much for having me. We're going to talk about your own journey as a parent with a child with an ultra-rare neurodegenerative disorder, how you worked to get an experimental gene therapy created for your son, Michael, and how through that process, you now have launched Elpida, a company seeking to develop gene therapies for ultra-rare disease populations. Before we talk about Elpida, I thought it would be useful to remind listeners about your own journey and how it led to the creation of the company. What is spastic paraplegia 50, and when was your son, Michael, diagnosed with the condition? Yeah, so spastic paraplegia type 50 is a slowly progressing neurodevelopmental neurodegenerative disease that causes paralysis from the toes working its way up to the shoulders. And typically, children um, with the disease are paralyzed from the waist down by the age of 10, um, quadriplegic by the age of 20, um, some have epilepsy, some don't. Some have microcephaly, some don't. But the majority of children are nonverbal and usually do not walk by the age of 10. Um, my son was diagnosed on April 2nd of 2019. And that, on that day, um, me and my wife made a promise that we would do everything humanly possible to give my son a better life. And that journey led us to flying around the world and meeting experts with, um, in gene therapy in the disease that Michael had. And we were fortunate enough to find Dr. Stephen Gray and Dr. Xin Chen from the University of Texas Southwestern Medical Center, who agreed to, to do whatever it took to help us as well. Um, imported a mouse from England, dosed um, a colony of mice, uh, proved it in cells with the NIH, and basically did a complete proof of concept um, showing that it was relatively safe and effective in mice with the disease. From there, um, we manufactured the toxicology batch in in um, in a with a company called Virogen in Spain. We applied to the um, uh, to the FDA in Health Canada through a, a CTA and a pre IND, and we did toxicology through Charles River for non human primates and rats. That showed that it was relatively safe. We then made a um, a clinical batch, and I received approval uh, December thirtieth two years ago and dosed my son on March 24th of last year. When he was first diagnosed with conditions, what treatment options existed, if any, and what were you told about the diagnosis? 
Yeah, we were told the doctors were really nice to us, and and they told us, listen, there's not much known. Um, there's very little much known about the disease. Go home, love your child, give them the best life humanly you humanly can. But there's no drug, and there's no treatment um, at this point in time. That's basically what they told us. You set out on an effort to to get a gene therapy developed to treat Michael. I should note you are not someone who began this effort with a deep background in biotechnology, but worked as a director of information technology in the financial services industry. How did you go about doing this and what gave you the confidence you'd be able to be successful? Yeah, you know, honestly, throughout my life and my career, I've done very challenging and difficult work, building things that people didn't think were possible. And I think it was the time my, my, one of my good friends and my old boss was, I think we were, he, we were trained or I was trained for this task to try to save my son um, by doing all these very complex and, and things that, again, people thought were not possible. And, and on top of that, we had a lot of luck and a lot of prayers along the way because um, a lot of this journey is, is around, you know, safety and animals that may or may not work out and manufacturing runs that run perfectly and, and, and a whole bunch of other things that just have to be, the sun and the moon have to align basically for you to get it right. And we just happen to get it right, especially considering that instead of doing everything we did in, in series, we did everything in parallel. Um, so in other, in other words, instead of spending five or six years and four and a half million dollars, we did it in, in three years or just under three years and four and a half million dollars. So we were very fortunate that this thing just happened to work out. I encourage any listener who wants to learn more about your experience to go into our archives and listen to a rarecast we did with you in October 2022. Fast forward, though, you're now launching Elpida Therapeutics in the hopes of bringing gene therapies to many patients in need. Elpida is a social purpose corporation. The goal here is to make gene therapies, not money, but it has an unusual business model. Can you walk us through how Elpida works? Yeah, and just to step back a bit, I mean, after we dosed Michael, um, we had two more doses and we decided that we were not done. So we basically set up a clinical trial at University of Texas Southwestern Medical Center for a phase one, two, um, and we dosed one patient two months ago, and we have another patient being dosed in a few weeks. And and then I went to Virogen in Spain, and I said, there's a few children in Spain. If uh, if I end up bringing the trial here and I pay for the cost, would you manufacture a batch, um, you know, to support these children? And they said, absolutely. So I flew out there in December, and we met with the team in Pamplona at a hospital. And we're working on um, dosing six more children across Europe. Um, part of that study and and then what was happening is I was doing a, a gene therapy 101 class, and every month, you know, 50 patients, pa patient population groups would, would join. Um, so we've trained almost 200 so far, and it was just it was a huge unmet need. And I was thinking to myself, how am I able to make the biggest impact? And it wasn't running the gene therapy 101 class, and it wasn't helping these families on an individual basis, which I do anyways. It was getting these drugs to approval. Because if we dose two or three kids, and and uh, and that's the end of it, we did a disservice to this entire population. What we need to do is we need to get the drug from proof of concept to approval, get it into the insurers, get it into the government's hands, so they can pay for it. Because at eight hundred thousand um, dollars to manufacture the drug, and four hundred to five hundred thousand dollars to administer the drug. Only the rich or people that can raise money really well will get the treatment. 
And our goal is to get the treatment to everyone, no matter what your religious, social, economic status is. Everybody deserves, every child deserves to have a better life than the one coming to them from these terrible diseases. During your efforts to develop a gene therapy for Michael and others with SPG50, you were fortunate to build a lot of relationships and win the goodwill of many people and organizations that help advance the work. How are you leveraging that for Elpida? Yeah, and, and that's how Alpita really started. After after coming up with this idea, we, we first thought of a philanthropic mechanism to try to start it, and it was just not possible to raise the money we needed. And then we thought about a VC model, and unfortunately, um, we just had to give up too much money, which we would be limiting in the next step. So I went to all the partners that we made partnerships with over time, and I said, hey, if I were to take on five programs and run them to the clinic, would you support me? Would you give me in-kind services to run these programs? And one after another, they said yes. And I was kind of taken back, but I knew that they, their heart was in the right place. And and that's where Alpita came to be. So the goal is um, we're going to take five programs to the clinic. Our goal is to get um, two or three of them to approval. And with and by leveraging the PRV voucher that comes with approval from the FDA, do you know between you know twelve and sixteen more programs with those funds. So exponentially grow the number of programs that we're doing, getting them to the clinic, getting them to patients and seeing it through. So our goal is roughly around 10 patients per program. So 50 kids initially, and then if we get 12 to 16 more programs, another 10 per program. So 120 to 160 children on the next phase. To date, you've been able to raise about $20 million in commitments from partners for in-kind services. Can you give a sense of the range of things you've been able to cobble together and, and the services they're providing? How far will that take you? Yeah, so right now we're, we, we, we have um, about four or five different manufacturing runs, uh, two or three toxicology programs, um, about 50 kids to be dosed across five different hospitals. Some of them are in kind, some of them are uh, deferred payments. Um, and, and then one of them, we had to get a loan for the um, uh, for paying our employees and the seed funding. Um, but all of that is is either a one, like one-to-one or in kind, right? Very low interest or no interest at all um, in order for us to get the ball moving. You've been able to raise some seed capital on top of that, but you're still looking to raise funds for operating expenses. How much do you need to raise here, and how far will your funding goals take you? Yeah, I think we need to raise three to five million for five years, and that will get us um, to the end of all five programs, uh, seeing them through. And I think at that point in time, then if we get one or two PRVs, we'll be or even one PRV, we will be set. We'll be self-sustaining, and that was kind of the purpose of it, which was having these companies help kick us off, get us going, so that we could be self-sustaining and move programs forward on our own. And that's kind of what we're, try- we're, we're trying to accomplish. It's mind-blowing to think of a company with five gene therapy programs being able to advance those on, on so little capital. Uh, yeah, how is that possible? <laughs> I think what it is is, you know, we have a lot of partners that are willing to give us in-kind services as well as, like, not just, um, you know, do- dosing patients, also, like, intellectual property lawyers and, um, uh, expertise when we need it. But I think the reality is that, you know, we've built a really good team around what we've done and we're going to use those same lean methods on doing all the other programs as well. Like we're, you know, we're not a large company. We don't have, you know, 50 or hundred employees. We can run very lean. 
And remember, we're taking programs after proof of concepts. So we're not, you know, spending all the time in doing R&D. It's mostly process development, right? It's like taking them to the IND, the pre-IND, IND, then doing the toxicology and, and you know, manufacturing, getting the trees treated, all that kind of stuff. So we're not really doing a lot of research and in, 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 um, in science. It's mostly process development. You're focused on ultra-rare disease populations. Ultra-rare is a term that's quickly outliving its usefulness. What size populations are you targeting? Usually it's under three to 500 in the in, in worldwide. Uh, that's kind of what we're looking at. I mean, we're not, we haven't really defined it by, you know, um, by patient population. It's more of, is there, is there a really good proof of concept? Is there really good data to support this program? And is there commercial interest? And if there's no commercial interest, but there's a lot of good efficacy and a lot of good data, then that's a program that we're very interested in because these are the programs that are never going to see the light of day unless we help them. Alpita doesn't plan on marketing gene therapies, but to hand them off to a commercial biotech or other partner at no cost once it wins regulatory approval, these aren't expected to be products that are economically attractive to a biopharma or others. What's the expectation? Why would a partner take on one of these products? You know, I, th I think if, if we're in the market that we're in right now, when these all come out, I think it's going to be very difficult. I think if the market is a bit different and it's a bit more upbeat towards gene therapy, I think it'll be um, go a lot further. What we're hoping is that regardless of what the market looks like, that a company like Roche or Novartis or Pfizer or some big company will do it for, for philanthropic purposes, realizing that, hey, these are you know, three to five programs. Um, or more because there can be probably other companies that will be doing something similar like BGTC and other other entities. And we have to have a mechanism to get these drugs to these patients. You know, these, these children deserve it. And I'm hoping that by then we can convince, again, some large corporation to take this on um, through a philanthropic means. It's a, a pretty radical business model, and it's based on a couple of key assumptions. I'd like to ask you about those the first is that you'll be able to get FDA approval for a gene therapy on a small single trial. What gives you that confidence? Unfortunately, there isn't that much confidence in it. I think the reality is that even if it's a, regardless of what we name it, I think is if we do a number of children, like a small enough population um, of the of the actual bigger disease, and we're able to show efficacy, I think that's where we're we're looking for. Because if we're able to show efficacy in, you know, let's say, you know, dosing every single U.S. patient um, for a specific disease, then we've done all we can, right? And as long as we show efficacy in that disease or, or a surrogate or a biomarker, then we should be able to get approval from the government, from the FDA. The gene therapy for SBG50 did get a rare pediatric disease designation. That's a critical part of the economics of what you're doing. The plan here, as you said, is to get a gene therapy approved and sell the priority review voucher that the FDA grants to therapies for a rare pediatric disease designation. Those have been worth about $100 million. The assumption here is that you'll be able to consistently get rare pediatric disease designations and that the FDA will continue this program, which seems a bit uncertain, uh, at least a few years ago. Walk me through your thinking there. Yeah, I mean, the reality is if the, art, if the rare pediatric disease designation or the PRE vouchers go away, 
then rare disease as a whole is doomed because that's a significant amount of money that that a lot of foundation a lot of companies are looking and requiring in order for them to run the programs and if they don't get that if that funding goes away we're going to see a significantly more amount of programs being dropped so i think that the reality is that if there's an inkling of it going away uh, all the rare pediatric or rare foundations around the world really need to step up and start and, and start really you know advocating because if it goes away, literally, we're going to see a lot of programs shelved and we'll probably never see the light of day, unfortunately. Alpita is virtual today. It's not staffed with a discovery and development team. Where will the programs in your pipeline come from and will there be a cost to acquire or license them? Will academic centers turn over IP without economic consideration? They haven't yet. <laughs> we're, we're, not, we're not expecting them to. The reality is that um, universities are not going to hand over IP. Pants will still be owned by them. Um, what we're hoping to do is that they come back with a reasonable amount or reasonable terms, which a lot of them have been. Um, to be honest with you, a lot of them have come back with a very reasonable terms considering the low patient populations because, of the, again, we want to make them appealing when we, when we hand them off. Um, yeah, I, I don't think that's really going to be a problem, to be honest with you. And, and how we're going to find programs, today we found three programs that we're very interested in taking on. Um, but the two additional ones, we're going to allow patient populations to apply, similar to BGTC. And then our scientific advisory board is going to help us select the best programs that have the most efficacy, the most safety, um, and some natural history data. Given that all the stars have to align for this to work, is there a plan B? Or are you thinking of ways to change the business model so it can be sustainable if any of the assumptions change? You know, I think people um, usually are fixed in their ideas, and what we're doing is we're basically saying we're adaptable and and we're 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 flexible. And I think that's been kind of the point from the very beginning is that we're moving this forward. We're being adaptable based on market conditions, and we're taking on programs that people thought we could never do or do something that we thought they would never could happen. And and you know, as things come up, we're just going to have to adapt and change. And and I think the reality is that based on what we have today, when we're able to dose 50 kids and get five programs into a, a late phase trials, I think that's a huge win overall for the entire industry. Um, but our goal is to get these approved and that's, and that's something that I've committed to and that's something that I plan to achieve. Terry Piravalikas, CEO of Elpida Therapeutics. Terry, thanks so much as always. Thanks for listening. For more information about rare disease and to connect to the rare disease community, go to globalgenes.org. To keep up on the latest news and trends affecting the rare disease community, be sure to visit raredaily.org. You can subscribe to the Rarecast RSS feed through raredaily.org or through SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast manager. The Rarecast is produced for Global Genes by the Levine Media Group. You can also find our podcast, The Bio Report, on these popular podcast sites. Our theme music is composed by Jonah Levine and performed by the Jonah Levine Collective. We'd love to hear from you. Drop us a note at danny at levinemediagroup.com. <laughs>